Well, what a blessing to be with you this morning in this particular capacity, and I'm just thankful for the opportunity of sharing the word that's put in my heart from the Lord to end this number of weeks that we've been specifically concentrating on mission, and what a joy it is to be here and do this, especially since I haven't been around for three weeks, but the Lord knows what that was all about, and um, it's been just special times for me as well. Um, <clears throat> the title today is Evangelism, Giving Hope to a Troubled World. The story is from 2 Kings chapter 7. And we're not going to read all that because it's a long one. And it really starts in chapter 6. And really, it's one of those great stories that really you should go and maybe start in chapter, chapter 2 and go through to the death of Elisha because the, the, the works of Elisha were just quite remarkable. But let me give you a brief overview of chapter 7. Because of all sorts of things that were going on, Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, um, had come and given siege to the city of Damascus. And that happens to be where Elisha was at the time. And the, the city was in tremendous hunger, desperation. They were so hungry, there were some strange things that they were eating, especially including starting to eat their own children. It was a very terrible situation. Elisha brought a, a prophecy that all that was going to end in 24 hours. And of course, they all said, oh yeah, <laughs> 24 hours? How is that going to change? But anyway, there were four men outside of the city. They were in between the enemy and the, the people in the city. They didn't know what to do because they had nothing to eat. And so while they were there, they one said to the others, what are we going to do? If we go into the city, we're going to die with them. If we go to the enemy, we're probably going to die there too. But at least they've got food. So they might be kind to us, seeing as we have leprosy. So why don't we try and do that? So off they went. And when they got there, they were absolutely amazed at what they saw. They thought that the army was sort of hiding from them when they saw them coming so they could jump out and get them. But in actual fact, what had happened, God, because of Elisha's commitment and faith and worshipping of him, had made, them, made that army hear a great noise, a tremendous noise, so that they thought all sorts of other armies were coming to get them. And so they all up stakes and they fled. They left everything, absolutely everything. All their tents were there, loaded with all the stuff that they had. They didn't have any chance to, to pick them up. It was such a terrifying thing for them. So when the leprosy men got there, they were absolutely overjoyed. They found food, food, and they ate themselves silly. You can just imagine that. They just ate themselves silly. And then uh, chapter 7, verse 9, and this is probably up for you to see right now. Then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait till daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went, and somebody went to the king and told him, 
uh, and told him what these leprosy men had said. He said, well, I think it's just the enemy is maybe sending something in here. So why don't I just send a few people out and check it out? So they went and checked it out. And they found it exactly as these uh, poor men had said. And so <clears throat> read the rest of the story. It's fun. It's in 2 Kings, 2 Kings 7. Just read in through that story. Let's just pray a minute. Father, thank you for your love for us. We've just been singing that what we believe in. We've said, sung it several times. I believe in God the Father. I believe in God the Son. I believe in God the Spirit. The three in one. We believe in the resurrection. When Jesus comes again. I believe. I believe in Jesus. Sometimes, Lord, we have to confess that the difficulties that we experience in our own personality sometimes question whether we're really believing and trusting in it, in you, in those things. Help us this morning just to reassess our own commitment to you, our own lives, and our own service to you. Lord, we recognize that not all of us are gifted in the same ways, but Lord, you have decided that each one of us is going to be your witnesses in one way or another. Forgive us when we don't. Help us, Lord, to know how, what you want for each one of us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. But how do we do this? Evangelism is a scary word to lots of Christians because they have a, a preconceived idea of what it all is. And sometimes we get very afraid of, of speaking to people about the things of the Lord. That's natural. Let me just encourage you. That's natural. I remember when I came to the Lord Jesus when I was a young teenager, and the first love that I had was just overwhelming. It's just overwhelming. But as I just went on through that teenage years and I didn't have a lot of power in my life, I was very afraid. Um, I know some of you don't believe this, but both Irene and I were very shy in our teenage years. I was so shy, it was, some of you know the story where God had to arrange for me to be able to be with her so I could take her home one day. Now, if I was up in front and I was singing, that's a different story, because I always loved to sing. But to talk, to talk to people about things of God, I had two fears in my earlier, early to later teenage. One was the fear of being baptized. I wanted to, but I was afraid. I was afraid of being baptized, because I'd have to give a testimony and be in front of all those people. The other was being sometime called into some time for missions. That was a real fear in my heart. I could never do that, Lord. Now, I want to remind you that we're exactly halfway right now between Easter Sunday and Pentecost Sunday. This, these 50 days are great times of study for us, prayer for us, because we desperately need the power of the Holy Spirit. We desperately need to know an anointing of the Spirit of God in our lives to change us. When we were both uh, about 18, the Lord was so gracious to us and brought us into a place of 
understanding and being taught what, what being filled with the Holy Spirit was. I remember it wasn't one of those amazing times of uh, manifestations and all the other things that lots of people talk about, but God came into our lives in a whole new manner when we decided that we weren't coming to him just for ourselves. We were coming to him for him. And when that happened, the transformation in our lives was absolutely palpable. It was absolutely there all the time. And we changed in our whole approach to being able to share with other people. I never had an intention, by the way, of being a pastor ever in my life. In fact, tomorrow, at the 1st of May, I just realized this morning, it's 21 years since I walked through the doors of Calvary to become part of the pastoral team. 21 years ago. <clears throat> Never thought I'd be a pastor for 21 years. And even now, being retired, you know, you never stop being a pastor. It just doesn't happen. It's in your heart. But from 1959 to 1971, when we left England, we were totally immersed in evangelism all over Britain. Young people, older people, all sorts of different situations. Some incredible things happened through the 60s, which was sort of akin to what some of you may be watching sometimes in this Jesus Revolution film that's going around. The Lord was doing some amazing things, taught us lots of things. We had people who were um, sharing with us and we were sharing with others. It was a really wonderful time of ministry. 1971 to 1991 in Ontario and across Canada and most of the northern states had the opportunity of ministering the word in evangelistic circumstances and teaching circumstances all the way across um, in all sorts of different churches. And the Lord brought us here to BC to plant a church. We stumbled into most of the things that have happened in our lives. We stumbled into cross-cultural ministry. We stumbled into church planting in England and in, uh, in Ontario and then eventually into here. And what a joy it has been <clears throat> to be able to see the Lord <clears throat> doing new things in the lives of people and just changing them. Church planting is a, an incredible opportunity to be able to reach people uh, that you haven't reached before. Because churches, when they get older, like we are in this church, we're an older church, you can get so set in our ways that we don't really do the things that we would have done if we were planting a church. I understand we have a pastor here who's just getting ready to go to Prince George to, to church plant now. Do you want to stand up, brother, and we'll just pray for you? Father, I pray for this brother right now, taking this challenge to move to Prince George. We'll just look, Lord, you know how many times that place has been in my heart, how many times I've visited it, seen people working there, Lord Jesus. Lord, just bless this dear brother. Cause him to know your spirit and your power upon him as he takes this, these big steps into a whole new field of ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. So what do we do about it? Well, you know, having taught all sorts of things about evangelism all over the place, we've gone through all the processes and the patterns and the ideas, and they've changed over the years 
training sessions and all of those sort of things. But you know, all my life's work has come, brought me to this conclusion that really it's very simple. Really, it's very simple. The good news hasn't, doesn't, and won't change. But how to let people know does and has. It depends on the era, the culture, where we are, how things are going, and only you can know what's right for you to be able to share and how to share it with the people that you know and the people you're getting to meet. So, as I compared through the 60s and the 70s, that was very different. The 80s and 90s were even more different. 2000s and 2010s, it just seems to be everything changes through all of that as the culture changes. The message doesn't change, but how we package it and how it works often changes. But there's some little things that might just help as we, as we get into this. Um, I have a number of different things that people call Barkerisms. So one of them is this. I've said this innumerable times. Talk to anyone and everyone about anything and everything, and sooner or later there'll be an opportunity to talk about Jesus. I'll repeat that in a minute. I remember being in Ontario years ago, and I was going to speak at a church, a small church, uh, for three weeks on the run. And when, you, when you're here, <clears throat> and you haven't got all these lights in your face, <laughs> you do see a lot of things going on in the church. People don't know how much you can see from up here. It's amazing. And now, while I was there, I saw this one lady coming in every Sunday morning, and she'd sit just over about there. And then the moment she came in, she was talk, 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 talk. And then the service started, and then when we got to the offering and the announcement, she was talk, 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 talk. And then we got to the end of the service, and she was talk, 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 talk. Now, that happened three weeks on the run. And I watched her. And the, and the third week, <clears throat> the youth leader was in the foyer with me, and we were just saying goodbye. And he was looking specifically for people who would help in some of the ministries that were going on, youth ministry particularly. And they were going to go out on the streets nearby in the town to, to invite some of the young people in. And so he saw her coming and he said, oh, just the person I want to talk to. And he asked her, would she join them? And she said, oh, but you don't know. She said, he, she said I can't talk. <laughs> and I thought, lady, what have you been doing these last three weeks? <laughs> we may not think we can be able to talk about the things of the Lord, but the problem is... We can talk, but we don't always talk about the right things. Talk to anyone and everyone about anything and everything, and sooner or later, there'll be an opportunity for you to talk about Jesus. Let me talk about a couple of things, just as we're starting here. Canadianisms. How are you? That's right. That's what everybody says. Because it's just one of those things you say. Many, many times when, some, when I say to somebody, how are you? And they say, fine. I will look them in the eye and say, really? And that's what, it doesn't matter whether they're believers or unbelievers. It's a wonderful question to ask people. Because if they see you, that you're really looking at them, and you are interested, it's amazing what people will tell you. 
It's amazing what they'll trust you with because they see the genuineness, especially if they know you well. It's amazing how that can lead into all sorts of issues. Like, for instance, I could say, well, how can I pray for you? And they'll probably be excited about somebody going to pray for them because an awful lot of people in this broken world need prayer. We're in a very broken world right now. I was thinking, you know, teachers these days particularly, they're expected to teach what they would never have expected to be teaching. And they're prevented from teaching the very things that they were taught to teach when they were in training. The world has turned itself upside down on so many things. And we have a couple of generations that have never heard a thing about Jesus in Canada. They never heard a word about it. They have never, never heard the gospel story at all. How can I pray for you? Can we pray now? One of the things as a pastor is that people often say, will you pray for me this week? And sometimes people have asked you the same thing. And the easiest thing is to say, yes, I will. And then things get in the way and you forget. And the next Sunday, somebody says to you, thank you for praying, and you feel lousy. <laughs> so I developed my own personal habit that when people ask me for, to pray for them during the week, I'll say, well, why don't we pray about it right now? It's amazing what God does when you begin to pray for somebody right now, whether they believe in God or not, whether they, they know you do. They know you do. And that prayer can be an open door into sharing about Jesus. The times that that has happened to me has been a blessing. Whether I've been a pastor or whether I've not, it doesn't make any difference. Whether they know me or whether, I, whether they don't know that about me. And it gives you an opportunity to tell that person of our Heavenly Father answering prayer. And if you've got stories about how God answers prayer, whether they're yours or whether they're somebody else's, it really doesn't matter. You can tell somebody how God answers the prayer. If they're uncertain, uh, tell, let me tell you how, what happened to me. That's another good one. Let me tell you what happened to me. And it's amazing how people will listen. People love your story. I love people's stories. I listen to them for ages. When they're telling me what their story is, I'm in raptures just listening to them. And when you're telling your story, it's amazing how people will listen to you. Your testimony is just your story of how God has been dealing with you. One of the other big things in terms of opening up, in terms of the way people will listen to you, is just being with them. Sometimes we're not with people enough. We'll say we'll pray for them, but we're not with them. I, I remember the story about Beethoven years ago. And one of his friends was, was dying. And he went to visit him. And Beethoven was not known for being a very much a talkative person. And he sat with this man for a long time. And then he left. And somebody said, what was your visit with Beethoven like? Well, he didn't say anything. But he just sat there with me. And that was such a gift, 
Such a gift. I wonder when's the last time you sat with somebody that was going through difficulties and just were there for them and were there with them. What a joy that is. Over these last couple of years, I've learned what it is to be alone again. And what a joy it is to have somebody just come and visit. How many times have we visited people lately? Even if, you've, even if you're not good at sharing the gospel, do it by your actions. It's so important that all of us are active and on ministry. Some of us are good at talking. Some of us are not so good at talking and sharing those things, but we can share our personal story. We can pray with people. Hospitality. We're talking about who's coming for dinner. Hospitality is such a, a great, great gift to people. What a blessing. But what the people in the, twen in the 2020s really need in most in 2023, what's the, what's the thing that they're after? I think this world, more than anything else, needs hope. Hope is the big thing that people don't have at right to hand right now because they don't know where to go. There are wars, rumors of wars, there's loss, there's, there's, there's panic over lots of different issues. People are going to be losing their homes if they can't pay for them. People are not being able to uh, buy enough spend enough on their groceries. People are giving up their pets because they can't afford them anymore. And there's so much hurt around going on right now. And the, the negativity that's around in social media. And the, <laughs> I, 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 am, I am really quite, um, I was going to say mad at. Well, I presume I am, I really. Mad at the media for manipulating so much of the society rather than just telling the news. And people are feared, are afraid. They don't know where their hope is going to come from. Even for Jesus' followers. Jesus says in John 16, 33, In the world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Titus 2, verse 13. Waiting for that blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our God, great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. See, our job is to talk about life after death. Our job, that's our biggest job, is to talk about life after death. Because people have, are, have given up hope in this world. And when people don't have hope, they surrender to anything that's around. They just give up. What about the resurrection? We've just been singing that we believe in it. We've just been celebrating it with Jesus. But do we know enough about the resurrection to share with other people? The resurrection when Jesus comes again and the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive and remain, we'll all be caught up in this. We'll be caught up in this because Jesus is going to give us resurrection bodies. We are going to be with Jesus forever. But I think 
well, like Bunyan said in um, his Pilgrim's Progress, if you've never read that book, you should really get a hold of it. It was written in the 1600s. There's modern versions of it. And what he introduces it as is from the journey from this world unto the next. He didn't particularly mention heaven. He talked about the celestial city, the new Jerusalem. So there's so many ideas today about heaven that certainly don't come from the word of God. There's one, my favorite CD of all times, you can get most of the tracks now on, on YouTube and other things, <clears throat> was a CD called City of Gold uh, by an English group, uh, Phil Bagley and his group, plus monologues by Adrian Plass. If you ever heard of him, he's wonderful. But this, we're just going to play this one track right now for a couple of minutes. Adrian Plass with a monologue about heaven. It's a little, um, it's a little sort of um, impressionistic of what people think. So listen to this carefully. When I'm in heaven, tell me there'll be kites to fly. The kind they say you can control, although I never did for long. The kind that spin and spin and spin and spin, then sulk and dive and die and rise again and spin again and dive and die and rise up yet again. I love those kites. When I'm in heaven, tell me there'll be friends to meet in ancient oak-beamed Sussex pumps, enfolded by the wanton downs, and summer evenings lapping lazily against the shore of sweet, familiar little lands inhabited by silence or by nonsenses, the things you cannot safely say in any other place. I love those times. When I'm in heaven, tell me there'll be seasons when the colours fly. Poppies splashing flame through dying yellow, living green, and autumn's burning sadness that has always made me cry for things that have to end. For winter fires that blaze like captive suns, but look so cold when the morning comes. I do love the way the seasons change. When I'm in heaven, tell me there will be peace at last. That in some meadow filled with sunshine, filled with buttercups and filled with friends, you will chew a straw and fill us in on how things really are. And if there is some harm in laying earthly hope at heaven's door, or in this saying so, have mercy on my foolishness, dear Lord. I love this world you made. It's all I know. I love that last line. I love this world you made. It's all I know. We don't know. We don't know what heaven is going to be like. In fact, I think heaven is far closer than you or I ever, ever dream of. It's another, it's another 
um, dimension. It's another, um, yeah, another dimension. It's almost as if you can sometimes poke a hole and be right there because God is here. See, I, some of those things people are, are sharing because they don't know. They don't know what it's going to be. I know one thing, I don't believe it's going to be way up there. Because what are the Australians going to do? <laughs> and I know it's not going to be just floating around somewhere with a harp sitting on a cloud. God loved this world when he made it. He loved this earth. He gave it into the hands of people he hoped he could trust. And through the ages, we've made a mess of it. But I love the scriptures in Isaiah 65 and 2 Peter 3 and Revelation 20 and 21. The new heavens and the new earth wherein dwells righteousness. I think we're going to be amazingly surprised with what God is creating for us. And people need to know that isn't some airy, fairy, spiritual, mystical religion we're following. This is something very real. And God has created, will create for us a new heavens and a new earth. The word heaven and heavenlies in the, in the scriptures really mostly refers to the sky. Mostly refers to the stars. And we've taken it to be different to what it was expected. And that's mainly in the last hundred years or so. A couple of hundred years. Would you like to look forward to a brand new earth where there'd be no pollution, nothing that would ever hurt it, no sickness, no disease? Imagine what conversations about the following worrying issues could lead to if you started talking to them about what life after death was going to be. Wars and rumors of wars. And a new earth, there'd be peace with the king of peace. All the problems we have with governments all over the world, well, that's all going to be on his shoulders, on his shoulders. The environment, it'll be eaten to perfection. Climate change, well, we won't need rain. They didn't have rain when the free earth first started anyway. Until, until everything went so bad and then God sent the flood and broke everything up. Safety and security. Scripture says all may lie down in safety. All those who are, are, are active in terms of cruelty to animals and all the rest of it and don't want us to eat meat and all the rest of it, even though God said that we could. But that'll all be solved. Because the lion and the lamb will be lying down together. Scripture says that. As creation as it was supposed to be in the first place. Further education, we won't need that because then we shall know even as also we are known. We shall know all things. Transportation, well, that'll be fun. Look how Jesus was able to be here and there, walk and appear wherever, wherever he wanted to be. We're going to have bodies like unto his glorious body. Anxiety and fear, it's never going to be there because the whole place was filled with love. And the scripture tells us there's no fear in love. Sickness, disease, and pain, there's not going to be any of it. Death and grief, 
No more death. No more tears. All gone. Do you think that's good news? Do you think that's good news? Is it worth sharing? Could you risk a little embarrassment here and there by talking to people about what do they think about life after death? Ask them the question. Now, you know, all I've said there is as much um, conjecture around the scriptures as anybody else's. But it fits my thinking. It fits my thinking a lot. I really believe in the new heavens and the new earth. And what that really means and how it's going to come, I've always said to people that when I pass away and go to be in the presence of the Lord, I'll say the first thing I'll probably say is, oh, that's what you meant, Lord. That's what you meant. But it's worth talking about, folks. It's worth thinking through and beginning to ask people, especially when they're, when, when they, they're unsure about death, when they're unsure about sickness, when they're unsure about they've lost a loved one, where is that person? Where are our loved ones? And we can bring Jesus right into the picture. Because people today need hope. They desperately need hope. See, this business about up, above and below and up and down and higher and lower that the scripture talks about, they're terms that often to do with status. They're often to do with um, <clears throat> things being higher than another, not necessarily physically. So let's not be too literal about all the things that we think and are sure we think about. But let's talk to people about the things that we do know. Romans 8, 19 and 22 says this. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, said Paul. Until now, we say, because it's still groaning in the pains of childbirth. But soon God, through Jesus, Jesus is going to be coming back again. One of the cardinal bases of our faith. Jesus is coming again. And when he comes again with all the hosts of angels and the hosts of the, those who have gone before us, however it works out, it's going to be wonderful. My heart anxious with, uh, along with Adrian Plass to be able to say, maybe in some meadow filled with sunshine, he'll, and filled with buttercups, filled with friends, he'll chew a straw and fill us on how, in, how, and how things really are. Forgive my foolishness, dear Lord. I don't know. Years and years ago, I used to know an awful lot now, a lot, an awful lot more than I do now. The more I've gone on with the Lord, the more I've been surprised. I don't know how many times I've read these scriptures through and through, preached on them, nearly every page of the scriptures through the last 60, 60 years or more. But I'll tell you what, I still get surprised. I still get blessed. I still get convicted. I still get encouraged and challenged. And if you're giving up reading the word, 
and listening to what God's saying to you, it's no wonder that you have hesitation about speaking to others about the Lord. Hide God's word in your heart. Not only that we won't sin against him, but then that's the way God can speak to you. Can I just t- tell you one very personal thing about how God speaks? Uh, after Irene went to be with the Lord um, just over two and, a, two and a quarter years ago, I was, um, I was in an unusual position because for years I'd been counseling with people uh, who were losing loved ones or had just lost loved ones, t- ministering at memorials and funerals, praying with the sick, comforting those who were bereaved. And I'd not had any training for that. I just asked the Lord each time, what is it you want me to say, Lord? What do you want me to tell you? And it was amazing the things he gave me to share with people, and they were blessed. But then I came to live it. I came to live it. And after my family had gone home to where they needed to be, one day I was just standing in my living room and I was lost. And I was confused. And then the Lord did what he's often done with me, spoken to me by a scripture I hadn't thought of for a long time. And it sort of spoke down my ear. It's almost as if it was a clear voice. And it was when Jesus was answering some of the Pharisees. And he said, I suppose you're going to tell me now, physician, heal yourself. And I laughed. I did, I laughed. And I said, okay, Lord, I get the message. You've told me all the things I need to know over all these years when I've been sharing with others. Now it's up to me just to put it into practice. Now, that only happens when you really get into the Word consistently over periods of time, and you get to know more and more and more about the Word. And then God can, every moment of the day when you need it, He brings that Word to you. And when you're in the middle of conversations with people, and you want to share Jesus with them, and you don't know where to start, and then the Lord just prompts you and gives you a scripture, or He'll give you an illustration, or He'll give you a word to say. Do you trust Him to do that? See, that's what faith is. Faith is putting yourself in a position so that if God doesn't do something, you fall flat on your face. God comes through in those situations. He never lets you down. So I want to challenge you about taking a, a, a reassessment of your willingness to be involved for Jesus and be ready to give a word in season to the one that's weary to give a reason for the hope that lies within you to somebody who asks you. Making an opportunity. Um, Something just like this as I close with. I remember years ago being in in a restaurant with a whole pile of people, uh, and we were going through a line, lined up. It was like one of these, um, um, serve yourself, but when it came to the meat, you know, the guy was slicing things up. Actually, it was a lady this time. And as she was slicing up, I said to her, because it was a nice day, and I said, isn't this a great day the Lord's given us? And she said, well, I think we deserve it, don't you? 
So I said, do we always get what we deserve? And she said, no, let me tell you about my sister. And she poured out this story about her sister. We went on from there. But you see, I want to just share that with you because it's so easy to bring the name of the Lord into something. So just let somebody know that you pray. Not to be proud of it, but just so that they know. So that they know we can talk to you about it. People out there are hungry. Are you and I ready for that? Bringing hope to a troubled world. Are we ready for that? Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for just helping me this morning to deliver my heart. But Lord, it's only you who can change all of us. Help me, I ask you afresh in my life, Lord, just to help me, to help me every day to fulfill those things that I know in my heart clearly you've challenged me to do. We need your grace, Lord. We need faith. We need the sense of your presence. And above all, we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Grant, Lord, that you will help us through this coming week to listen to you, to learn, and to act. In Jesus' name, amen.